your teachers, high schoolers, you know the drill, kind of come up, come sit. We're going to have a video for you here in a second. Please do this as quickly and quietly as possible. Seventh grade teachers. Yeah. Right there. Okay. Welcome for our new series, Discipleship 101. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. As we look at light, uh, lessons from the Sermon on the Mount. As you see behind me, we have a desk, chalkboard, all that set up to remind of a classroom because disciple means the word what? Student, our follower, or, yeah, learner, whatever, but it, it, the but to make it a little more simplistic, it does mean student. Okay? Disciple means student. And so, discipleship 101. And I truly believe that disciples make disciples. And one of the things that we have here is we have the greatest teacher of all time, Jesus Christ. He teaches what we call the Sermon on the Mount. And I, we want to take some time here and talk about this because why? Well, because it goes over some simplistic things that we a lot of times forget and do not go over. He starts with the Beatitudes. And honestly, out of all the sermons, it's probably the harder ones because the Beatitudes um, themselves, each one could take a whole sermon. And I know that because I've done a whole sermon on each one of the Beatitudes before. And uh, so it does, uh, so we're going to look at this. We're going to talk about it. Uh, a lot of information um, on, uh, we'll be going over tonight. So first of all, we need to understand, how, how do you understand the Beatitudes? First, Beatitudes, 
the word, it comes from the Latin words, which means a state of happiness or bliss. So the Beatitudes comes, and this is why we say the word blessed over and over again in it. And um, some say Beatitudes are to be happy. Okay, it means to be blessed. It comes from the Latin word to a state of happiness. And these are going to be some weird things that he's going to say blessed are. The next word is blessed. Blessed comes from the Greek word also meaning happy, fortunate, blissful. Again, this is going to be very different than what you're used to of what people consider happiness. Why? Why is this, uh, why is this such a difference? Because you have to understand the Beatitudes are a different standard. Anything in the life of Christ is going to be different than what the world teaches you. And this includes, as the Beatitudes are going to talk about the standards, Jesus' standards of happiness and the world's standards of happiness are not going to add up to be the same. Because by the normal human standards, such, um, excuse me, such things as humility, mourning, desire of righteousness, mercy, persecution, are not the stuff in which happiness is made for in this world. Okay? To the natural man and to an even immature Christian, such happiness sounds like misery with just another name. One commentary uh, observed this. Uh, he said, as, as, uh, as much as if Jesus went into the great store of life and changed all the price tags. I love that, 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 that saying. It's like Jesus went to the great store of life and all the things that, would, uh, that we would think would be happy, he says, that's not true happiness. See, in our life, what we get taught as happiness is great success. And he doesn't say great success is wrong. He just says that's not the key of happiness. We would say lots of money. Again, he doesn't say that is bad. He just says that's not the key of happiness. And you can keep going on and on. Popularity, many friends... These are not what he says are the Beatitudes. He went into the grocery store of life and changed all these price tags. And so in a way, happiness is misery with another name. What? Just hang on. These are different standards. Jesus has changed the price tags. He teaches us that misery endured for the right purpose and the right way is a key of happiness. Not your standard of misery. See, the basic principle summarizes the Beatitudes. The word says happy are the rich, the noble, the successful, the macho, the glamorous, the popular, the famous, the aggressive, the leaders, the whatever. But the message of the king, Jesus Christ, the one who is speaking, the sermon here does not fit the world's standard. See, again, we're to be of the world, but not in the world. I mean, in the world, but not of the world. Sorry, I messed that up. Because his kingdom is not of this world, but of heaven. We are not citizens of this world, but we are citizens of heaven if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you claim to be a disciple of him. And his way of happiness, which is the only way of true happiness, is much different is a much different road. 
So when we look at the Beatitudes here in a second, and we go through them, you're going to see that there's a different standard. But you have to understand, anytime when we look through the sermons of Jesus Christ and through, through the Sermon on the Mount here, everything's going to be different. When we look at salt and light, it's different. When we look at how, we to, uh, how he looks at anger, it's different. Divorce, oaths, different. Prayer, different. Everything in which we're going to look at in the Sermon on the Mount is going to be different standards in which the world versus Jesus. The Beatitudes are no different. Remember what they mean. Happiness, blessed, happy, fortunate, blissful. It's going to be very different than what we think. The next thing here before we dive into the Beatitudes, which is going to take most of the time, is the Beatitudes are progressive here here in a second i'm going to go through each of the beatitudes but see you have to understand the beatitudes are progressive they're not in a random haphazard order here they're not hmm i think i should put it here or there or that as anything in which jesus christ teaches it's in the perfect order and it's in the perfect place for example he says the two greatest commandments is to love god and to love others he does not say to love others and love god oh by the way what i meant was no he says to love God first. Why? Because that naturally overflows into loving others. You can never truly understand what love is until you first understand the love of God. Then you naturally can love others. So this is not just this craziness random that we're going to go through. It has a, a, a progression. Each leads to the other in a logical succession. Being poor in spirit reflects the right attitude we should have to our sinful condition, which then leads to a, uh, us to mourn, to be meek and gentle, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, to be merciful, pure in heart, and have peacemaking spirit. A Christian who has all these qualities will be far above the level of the world that his life will rebuke the world which will bring persecution from the world and light to the world. It's not in a random order. It's not like Jesus got a dartboard and started saying, these are the things I want to do. This is going to be a progression of how, truly, how we can understand happiness. How can we understand the way in which we're to be? Sometimes the Beatitudes are taught in a way in which one person can have this and one person can have this, and we look at like spiritual gifts. But as I have studied and studied, it's progressive. It means of how we to respond to things. So let's look at this. We're going to read this again. Beatitudes. So, Beatitudes... Um, we're going to start, we'll just start from 5, 1, and just go down. Seeing the crowds, he went up um, to the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and disciples mean what? Students, okay? So if I'm taking notes, I'm going to write the word disciple equals student, just for I can know. So he, he calls his disciples to be there with him, and then uh, and, in verse 2 it says, and he opened his mouth. He, being Jesus, opened his mouth 
and started, uh, started saying this, okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So first, we're going to start with the poor in spirit. So if you have your notes, so we see poor in spirit and slash. See, the poor in spirit means to recognize one's spiritual poverty apart from God. In other words, that we recognize that, that we have a sinful condition. It is to see one as we really are, lost, hopeless, helpless. That's what poor in spirit means, is that we recognize that without God, we are nothing. Without God, we have nothing. That there is a problem. Being poor in spirit, blessed are those who recognize they have an issue. Blessed are those who recognize that they have a sin problem. What that means is that we recognize that you're not perfect. That you're going to make a mistake. We live in a world that teaches that we're all going to be, that, that there is not mistakes made. But that's not true. Let me tell you the number one thing I got a lot. I've not got it much here in Louisiana, but I've got, I got it a lot in the majority of my teaching in Mississippi. Ken, I'm, I'm going to come to church when I get it all right. When I get everything perfect. I don't get it here as much. I'm around a lot more lost kids now than I ever was. And a lot of them, I think, understand that they never can be perfect. I think it is sometimes us as Christians who've been introduced to the idea and we think we can be perfect. Let me just tell you, without God, you can do nothing. You have a sinful condition. And I think when we forget that we have a sinful condition and we do fail, we put ourselves in a hole and we lock away the key because how in the world I just messed up again because we forget that we have a sinful condition. We must understand, blessed are the poor in spirit. They recognize that you're lost, you're hopeless, you're helpless. And with that comes the mercy of Jesus Christ. This is why he can say blessed. Because he's the one who brings the happiness. Come on, you can say amen. That's good stuff right there. Not that I said it because Jesus said it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. <laughs> it says, blessed are those who mourn, who mourn, begin to mourn over their sin. God's sorrow, the continual act of confession and repentance, and the solution is this. They are comforted. They are redeemed. There is hope for the hopeless. Blessed are those who mourn, for they are comforted. Blessed are, uh, are those who mourn over their sinful condition. There are some people in this very room, you have never mourned over your sinful condition because you don't understand that you have a sinful condition. It is like going somewhere and you have a cut on your arm and you go, I got a little cut on my arm. And you do nothing about it. And we're not talking about a little cut. We're talking about a deep cut, scrape. And you go, eh. And you don't treat it. What happens when you don't treat it? Oh, it gets infected. You get gangrene or staph infection. And then once you get that, what happens to the rest of your body? Oh, it starts getting infected. That's what the sinful condition is. And then once you have that sinful condition, 
part of the blessed are those who mourn, they begin to do something about it. They begin to put the peroxide on, okay? For us old school people, alcohol. I remember one time my mom put alcohol on me and she said, bite down. I went, why? I quickly understood why she said bite down on this piece of leather because alcohol burned, okay? Because peroxide was too expensive at that time. I keep a jug of peroxide wherever I go now, <laughs> never to have alcohol again. <laughs> it's that continual act of confession and repentance, but understand what the Greek here is not that it's a one-time deal. Blessed are those who mourn. It's continually of the confession and repentance because why? You are comforted. You are comforted. Have any of y'all ever gone through a tough time and there's that person in that life and they came and they comforted you? What happened? When that person comforted you, what, how did that make you feel? It made you feel what? Secure. It made you feel okay. It made you feel like you can go through this time. This is what Jesus does. Blessed are those who mourn, for they are comforted. Then what does he say? Next verse. He says, blessed are the meek, for they shall what? Inherit the earth. The meek. Mild or soft. Something I teach kids and I want to teach you. Meekness is not weakness. That's what I always tell kids. Meekness is not weakness. Always remember that. We think meek is weak. But that's not what this means here. It means to be focused on God's holiness. Meekness is not weakness, but meekness does not use its power for its own defense or self-purposes. Meekness is power completely surrendered to God's control. It means that God... Not only do you have the steering wheel of the car, I'm not even a backseat driver. I'm in the trunk, okay? You have complete control of my life. Some of us, we don't want anyone other than us to have control because, because even on the small things, we think, hey, I got this. I can control this because that's what the meekness does. But you have to focus on God's holiness. You have to... Think of him more and you less. You have to begin to um, let him be in control and you have to lose control. Let's just be honest. As human beings, we don't like to lose control of anything. And a lot of times in our Christianity, our biggest problem is this problem right here. We want to fight over the control. But it says you inherit the earth. What does that mean? It means that when you surrender that control over to Jesus, you become a follower of Christ. You inherit more than the earth. You inherit, you inherit a kingdom. You are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. When you become a follower of Jesus, when you become one of His children, God's children, He adopts you in the family. With that, you are joint heirs with Him. Is it fair? Absolutely not. It is not fair. I do not deserve to be joint heirs with Jesus. But for some reason, He allows it. And we inherit the earth. We give up control. Next, what does it say? Blessed are those who are what? 
hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Woo! We like this one. Because it says we're hungry and thirsty. You're teenagers. You're always hungry. You're always thirsty. Righteousness here, as it used the hunger and thirst, which means the physical necessity to survive, shows the righteousness is the optional spiritual supplement, uh, but, but a spiritual necessity. It's not, just, it's not the supplement, but it's the spiritual necessity. It is the necessity like water and bread. It's the necessity as food and water to you. The likeness of Christ. See how he says it right here. Um, it says, blessed are those who are hungry and thirst for righteousness. And it's using the physical part. So any of y'all have ever been thirsty? I, I remember one of the times I was thirsty. Okay, I ran a lot. I was a swimmer a lot. And sometimes I would get that dry mouth. You know, that cod mouth, we called it. Um, and, and you're just dry. And you just want anything. Okay, and I remember one time I had just finished running 10 miles with my coach. And I, and I, I mean, I was thirsty. And I, and, and they didn't have water out for us. They had, they had Gatorade. That's what we had back then. Powerade was not around yet. It was Gatorade. Okay, and it, it didn't, we didn't have choices of Gatorade a lot. You had the yellow or the orange. That's about all you had. Sometimes the red if you were really nice. Okay, and so open it up and taste it. And for the, and, and, and I've had Gatorade before, but something about Gatorade when you're thirsty, it tastes amazing. Okay, that, that for some reason it doesn't ever taste that good when you're not thirsty. But man, when you're that everything i was tasting everything why because something was satisfying that thirst something was satisfying deep inside it says so you're hungry and you're thirsty and the only thing that's going to satisfy you it says that uh, that that you're satisfied you're hungry and thirsty for righteousness and the only thing that will satisfy you is christ because you're going to become the likeness of him Blessed, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive what? Mercy. Merciful. It's not simply feeling compassion, but showing compassion. Not sympathizing, but giving a helping hand. Mercy is meeting the people's needs, and we see that they are in need and we meet the need, we are merciful to them and we shall receive mercy. It is not just feeling compassion, but doing something about it. We read in James over and over again, it says to make sure that we take care of the widows and the orphans. It says when you see, uh, um, when you see people in need, you meet the need. You see this in 1 John as well. It says, make sure that you are loving and helping others, showing them mercy. Mercy might not just be in meeting physical needs, but also emotional needs. And here's the deal. Why do we do that? We can give mercy because mercy has first been given to us, and we show them mercy. And by showing them mercy, we are giving mercy. 
says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall what? See God. But pure in heart here in Greek would translate meaning holiness. Holiness means what? To be set apart. So if I'm writing notes, holiness means set apart. So what does holiness mean? So set apart. So in other words, when you set something apart, it means, uh, uh, like for example, when someone is set apart than everyone else, it means that they shine, that there's something different about them, right? Okay? That's what the holiness, when we show holiness, it means to be set apart. It means to be different. It means that we will show some differentness. It means that we are set apart in all that you, are, uh, all that you do. Blessed are those who are holy, for they shall see God. They are set apart in all that they do. They are pure of heart. They are holy how they text people. They are holy how they do their Snapchat. They are holy how they do their social media, fill in the blank. They are holy in their conversations. They are holy in how they talk to their friends. They are holy in how they, um, they, uh, what they let enter into their minds. They are holy in how they react to others when they are angry. They are holy to how they act to their parents. Amen. Woo. Okay, I got you on that one. Holy or how they treat their brothers or sisters. Now you're saying, now you're digging deep. Holy. They are set apart. Now notice, it does not say that you will be perfect, but you will act holy. It means there's a difference. You're going to make mistakes with all those things I just said. But even in mistakes, when you act holy, you omit your mistakes and you let God grow you through those mistakes and allow them to be building blocks and not blocks that crush you because you are different. Holy. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the what? Oh, we got to do this better. Come on, people. They are called the what? Thank you, golly, we're alive. Okay, peacemakers, they are called the sons of God. This means more than the absence of a conflict. A lot of times we think peacetime, people go, we're in a peacetime. No, just no one's trying to fight us right now, okay? It's more than just an absence of conflict, but it's the presence of righteousness. Only God's righteousness can make relationships that bring two parties together. We will never have peace in this world until God comes back. That's the truth. But it's saying, blessed are the peacemakers. It's more than just the absence of conflict, but it's the part of, as a Christian, that when we come in, that we, we want to bring peace. That we want to, that, that, that we bring the presence of, of righteousness. Righteousness means to live rightly, to live holy. And holiness means to be what? One, two, three means what? Very good. So to be holy, to be set apart. Mm. 
I had uh, my mentor, um, Brother Sammy Crawford, he's one of the few men in my life I've ever seen have this capability. Um, and, and I know he's in the room, but I'm going to say, and the other person would be Tom Thomas, that have that ability when they come into a room to allow peace to be there. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, it's something I pray daily to be that person. Uh, it seems like wherever I go, conflict comes too, okay? <laughs> maybe uh, maybe uh, some of y'all uh, will understand that. You feel like wherever you go, whoo, there's conflict, okay? But blessed are those with that righteousness that comes, and they can bring that peace within that. You know, my mentor, every time anything would happen, he was not our head pastor, he was the associate pastor, but he was my pastor, and whenever there was an issue, he could come in. And when he came into the room, it was almost like everybody was ready to surrender to their conflicts immediately and say, I am sorry, let us bring peace, because he brought that righteousness. It was not what Sammy had, personally. It's not that his personality was that way. It was because of what God has done in his life. And that he lived for God. The same for Mr. Tom. When they come in, because they live for Jesus, that righteousness comes through. And then lastly, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecuted. There will be harassment for your faith. Just don't get taught. <laughs> you know, when I was a little kid... This is how Christianity was taught to me. And, and the funny thing is, not that someone said it in these words, per se, but it was how it was li lived out and taught indirectly. But indirectly, what I was taught is, as long as I was a good kid, as long as I did everything that I was supposed to do, and go to church every Sunday, and do all these little right things, that I was going to have a pretty good life as a Christian. And if bad things did come to me, it means I was doing something wrong or I was doing something incorrect towards God. That's how I was taught. So, so you can imagine the first time I was really getting persecuted by the enemy or faith, the immediately I thought someone said, you know, was, hey, you're doing something wrong. But does a Christian have a hassle-free life? No. Will a Christian be persecuted? Yes. Do you know what the word witness means? You know the word witness is translated in the Greek? You know what word that is? Martyr. Martyr. That's what the word means. So the word martyr comes to the word witness. Wow. But see, as I begin to do my study, I, I read about Stephen and Paul and the disciples. And one of my favorite books that I really started reading early on in my ministry that really changed my life and how I saw things was the Fox Book of Martyrs. And that really began to make me understand Oh my gosh, Christians get persecuted. This is okay. It doesn't mean that they lived a wrong life, but it meant that they were a martyr. In other words, they were a witness for Jesus Christ. They were his disciples. Disciple means what? 
student. Lastly, blessed are you when others reveal, revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you and falsely, on falsely accounts, which has happened to me. People have falsely came up with accounts against me. They're going to falsely come up with things against you. Why? Because they want, they want to bring you down because they believe if they can bring you down, they can bring God down. And that will never happen. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Reminder that persecution is not a new thing. Remember what Hebrews chapter 12 one says. There's a great cloud of witnesses that, come that have come before us. Because why? It points to chapter 11 which shows all these people who had faith and very few had happy endings. They really did not. It wasn't that some did something wrong, but when you're obedient to what God has asked you to do, the world's going to say you're crazy. People didn't look at Noah and went, it's a good idea, let's build a boat in the desert. That's smart. My boy, he's going to win... He's going to win the Nobel Prize for intelligence right there, building a boat in the desert. Don't pray. Daniel prays three times a day with the windows open. I would have had those windows closed, honestly. He was persecuted. Lion's mouth closed. Be bold in your living for Jesus. Be a great witness for Him. Blessed. See, I told you, Jesus went to the store of life and changed all the price tags, but the ultimate price tag He changed was this. See, where it came to God, where it came to be even near to God, we owed a debt in which we could not pay. It was zillions and zillions and zillions of dollars. I'm making that up. There, uh, no, you know, I'm just showing you this great amount. And then because he came into that grocery store life and he sacrificed for us, he paid it in full and it is now zero. To come before him and to be his child. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And if you do not, we're going to pray and we're going to have opportunity. You can talk to me. I see Drew in here, so talk to me or Drew. And remember, guys, ask yourself, are you a disciple? Are you a student of Jesus? And understand, being a disciple makes disciples. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for this time that we can gather in your word. Father, let us reread Matthew chapter 5 tonight and understand what it means to be blessed and to have these attitudes that will glorify you in all that we do. Guide us, lead us, direct us. In your name, amen. Please stand and worship with us and respond with us.